Okay, how many of you want to know why I put these up here? It's one or two, all right. Okay, just stay put and you'll find out. This is our final lesson from the Red Sea. Final lesson this morning from the Red Sea. For those that might be visiting, uh, my sister and brother-in-law and their son are with us this morning, but if you're visiting with us, uh, we've been journeying down this path ever since October 2nd. October 2nd, we began following the journey of the Israelites on their march, not just to the Red Sea, but through the Red Sea. And their story, I believe, has given, at least has helped me, uh, has given us, I believe, some invaluable lessons. When we find ourselves in crises, not of our own doing. See, the last time I say this, because the last message, but again, this, is, this whole series is about those times that we've not done anything. We can get ourselves into our own storms, our own problems, our own dilemmas, our own crisis, and this is not one of those things. This is when something hits you out of the blue. You didn't do anything to bring this on, but here you are. You find yourself in the middle of a mess, in the middle of a storm. And the lessons that we've learned have, I believe, been extremely important. Whenever we find ourselves in a place of difficulty, uh, storms, uh, hardships, trials, use whatever word you want, the natural tendency, at least it is for me, the natural tendency is for us to want to just run away. Let's just go somewhere else. Let's just find another place to live. or Let's just find uh, another uh, surrounding just to get us out of this situation. But you and I know that there is no place on earth where we can go where storms and challenges will not come. That's just the fact of life. There is no place that we can go. Let me give you an example of that. Um, show you a picture of this place. Uh, this is an observatory. Um, now, that place looks rather cold and miserable, right? How many of you know that's just right around the corner for us here in, in Sugar Creek? Um, but I heard on the news that this place here, just heard, I just saw it this morning, this place here, um, they're about ready to get another foot of snow in this location. Where is this place? Believe it or not, this place is in Hawaii. You believe that? You don't believe that? You don't, yeah, you don't know what to say. Um, and now I do have to tell you, this place right there, that is on, on the Honolulu Island, okay? Uh, and it is an observatory, but it is like eight to 11,000 feet up in the peak to where they're going to get uh, snow like this. But even in paradise, you're going to get snow. doesn't matter where you go in life. Storms are going to come Storms will happen no matter where you go. We just have to know how to deal with it all. Some of you pay attention to me. You're still looking at the bananas, I can tell, okay? All right, let's just do a quick review of where we've been. Where are the lessons? What lessons have we learned with the story of the Red Sea? The first lesson is that you are exactly where God wants you to be. Chapter 13 and verse 17, God specifically told Moses where to go. And told the Israelites where to go. He didn't want them to go the easy way. He told them to go around, go the long way that would put them right at the Red 
see. See, God allows us, or dare I say, sometimes he desires for us to enter into times of great hardship, times of testing in order to accomplish a greater good. You need to know that you're exactly where God wants you to be. Lesson number two. Many times we ask the wrong questions. Why me? How did this happen? What did I do? Why did this have to take place? Instead, we need to learn the right, ask the right question. Ask, how can God be glorified through my storm? Lesson number three. Know who the enemy is, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Bear with me just for a second. Know who the enemy is, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Lesson number four, pray. We saw the Israelites do this. They prayed. We need to pray urgently. We need to pray earnestly. United with the body of Christ and pray in faith. Lesson number five, be still. Give God time and be confident. Be still. Give God time to work and be confident. Lesson number six. Do not fear. Take the next logical step and believe. Sometimes that's what God wants us to do. Just what, what is he telling you? What is the next logical step in front of you? And take it and then believe that that is the next step that he has for you. Lesson number seven. Learn to experience the enveloping presence of God. Experience the enveloping presence of God. You remember that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire went before them to lead them and to guide them. That was a manifestation of the presence of God. He was right there leading them and guiding them. Experience the enveloping presence of God. And then last week, number eight, we talked about trust God to deliver in his own unique Way that can come by the miraculous, that can come providentially, that can come mysteriously, as Cindy talked about this morning. But God will deliver you, but allow Him to have His own way. Regarding this amazing Red Sea event, listen to how perhaps it may have gone. Once the last Israelite crossed, they turned to see how close the Egyptians were. Then, right before their eyes, the translucent walls of water collapsed on their enemy. And I was thinking, can you imagine the sound of that? Can you just envision in your, in your mind and in your mind's ear, so to speak, what that would have sounded like? That must have been an incredible sound. And then perhaps after about maybe 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds, there was just complete silence. As more than two million stunned and motionless faces gazed over the waters of what was now, I believe, a peaceful body of water. No one knew what to do. No one dared say a word because... They were on holy ground. This awesome body of water not only provided dry ground in which to pass, it finally saved them by destroying their enemy. 
And as everyone stood there in dead silence for what may have seemed like an eternity, the sun pierced through and the clouds ushered in a new day for the nation of Israel. Next, a lone voice was heard saying this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Soon another voice said, the horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. And little by little, one voice turned into two, and two voices turned into ten, and ten turned into a hundred, and a hundred turned into a thousand, a thousand turned into a hundred thousand, and hundreds of thousands turned into a million or two voices, as they all said, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Folks, those are the words that Exodus chapter 15, 1 and 2 tell us they said. It says, after they crossed the Red Sea, these are the words that they said. Boy, I should have had you all sing your song right before my message or right after, but what a, what a beautiful song about praising the Lord. This is what the Word of God tells us, this newly freed nation of Israel said that day on the shore. And our final lesson, which is rather appropriate for the holiday that we just had, but I'll, I'll tell you, I wasn't, a, you know, God just said, Ask, if that, somebody has a testimony, and you just started popping up. Guess what? You just played right into this. You just confirmed that this is the message for today. Lesson number nine, don't forget to praise the Lord. Don't forget to praise the Lord. See, you had no idea that you were a confirmation for the message, but that's all you did was just praise the Lord. Since starting here at Bars Mill some 22, 20-some years ago, I've had the experience of leading praise and worship in a number of venues, a number of churches. I've stood before a lot of people, singing, playing, leading them in worship. But I have to say, there have been times, many times, whenever I stand before lethargic, uninspired, unexcited, unenergetic faces. That's hard. That's hard. It's amazing what some people do during these times of worship. I've seen people just kind of stand and just kind of, kind of get fidgety. They'll walk around. They'll, they'll, um, they'll look down at their feet. Uh, sometimes they'll whisper over to others and, and just be carrying on a conversation with them. I've even had some people on their phone as we're trying to worship the Lord in spirit and in song. And it's almost sometimes as if um, the people are saying to me, okay, Brock, we are here, you're here, now entertain me. I know what that's like, that's hard. And a good while ago, I kind of, I finally got it to where God said, Brock, you prepare your heart. You do what God wants you to do, and then the rest is up to them. See, you bring the spirit of worship with you as you come into this place. We can only do what God wants us to do, but where is your heart? Some of you may be familiar of the story about Matt Redman. Matt, Red, Matt Redman, the uh, contemporary artist who wrote 10,000 Reasons That We Sing, 
Many years ago, he was the worship leader at a large church. One morning, he came into the sanctuary, so you know the story, but he came into the sanctuary, and all the instruments were gone off the stage. He had no idea what had happened. He was pretty mad, actually. I mean, this was this is his area, you know. I mean, this is, I'm, nobody told me, no one ran this by me. What's going on? And so he was mad. And he went to the pastor study, and he said, hey, uh, what's going on? And the pastor, the pastor said this. He said, Matt, I feel as though we have ceased truly worshiping and praising God here. We have grown lax in our praises. We rely too much on our instruments and PowerPoint technicians to worship for. I want us to get back to what it really means to worship. Soon afterward, Matt Redman wrote the song, When the Music Fades. And all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within to the way things appear, for you're looking into my heart. For I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I have made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. And I ask the question, is that us today at times? It's probably me, guiltiest charge at times. Have we forgotten all that God has done for us that we no longer praise Him? Are we bored with God's blessings and with His provisions? I was thinking, can you imagine the Israelites bored as they watched their enemies destroyed before their very own eyes? Do you think that they were walking along the seashore looking for seashells as the translucent walls just collapsed down around them? I don't think so. Maybe sometimes, this might be a controversial statement, but maybe sometimes... We need a crisis in our lives to come back to the heart of worship and sound forth His praises. I didn't think I'd get too many amens with that. Hmm. Many times, church, and you would say amen to this, some of you would, life is about praising and thanking God in the midst of your storm. Did you hear me? Sometimes life is about praising the Lord in the midst. I preached a message not too long ago about in the midst, how God is in the midst. Well-known Christian author recently recalled, recalled a particularly troubling time in her life and in the life of her family. These are her, her words. Quote, my husband and I started our family back in the 1960s. There was much tension in the country. Racial conflicts were tearing the country apart. Civil rights activists had suffered and some had even been killed. Vietnam was costing the lives of thousands. Tensions boiled over into university and college campuses. Almost sounds like our world today, doesn't it? My husband and I found ourselves expecting another baby, but my body had not recovered from the last baby and we were not ready. Making matters worse, her husband caught mono, which left him exhausted and depressed. 
And as they discussed the turmoil of life, they occasionally asked each other, if the world is like this now, what will it be like in 15 or 16 years? What kind of world will our babies face? But then this couple soon realized that stability in life does not come from an ungodly world. The only way that we can have children, the only way that we can raise families and risk living at all is because of one truth, Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because our God is alive, there isn't any storm that he cannot deliver us from. These were the thoughts of this author. And out of this storm of their lives, this author, along with her husband, penned the words for God. Sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. And an empty grave is there to prove. My Savior lives, sing with me, and because He lives, I can face tomorrow, because He lives, all fear is gone, because I know Life is worth the living just because He lives. There's a lady named Charlotte Elliott. She had suffered with a myriad of health issues that left her somewhat disabled, but emotionally her heart was just as broken and hardened. She said, quote, if God loved me, he would not have treated me this way. In May of 1822, Charlotte and her family hosted a traveling minister. Over dinner, Charlotte lost her temper, shouted words of anger and resentment against her family and God. Her embarrassed family left the room, leaving her all alone with this minister. The minister looked at her and he said this. He said, you're tired of yourself, aren't you? You're holding on to your hate and anger because you have nothing else in the world to cling to. Thus you become sour and bitter and resentful. Charlotte said, what is the cure? The minister said, the faith you are trying to despise. Charlotte told the minister that she wants to have the same kind of peace and joy that he possessed, but she wasn't sure how to get it. The minister said, Give yourself to God just as you are now, with your fighting and with your fears, your hates and your loves, your pride and your shame. That night, Charlotte came to Jesus, ugly heart and all. God transformed her bitter 
angry heart into one filled with peace, joy, and hope. And soon after, this lady, Charlotte Elliott, wrote a poem that said, Just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. You see, from out of our greatest trials, from out of our greatest storms in life, come through the greatest triumphs and deliverances from God Almighty. But if we're not careful, if Brock is not careful, if you are not careful, we'll forget all that God has done for us. Yesterday's blessings will become faint and forgotten. If we're not careful. I said last week, I'll say it again, what if we only experience today the things that we thank God for yesterday? Think about that. We only experience today the things that we thank God for yesterday. Now look, I'm not talking about thanking God for the temporal things of life. And I'm not thanking God for the food of that we, uh, the table that we had uh, full of food uh, last week. I'm not talking about a job necessarily or um, necessarily even a family. or um, Those things are all important, don't get me wrong. But when was the last time that you thanked God, you got down on your knees and you thanked the Lord for your salvation? You thank the Lord for what He has done in your heart. All those other things are just the blessings of God. But when have you last just thanked the Lord for who He is in your life? Sometimes life is about praising God in the midst. You see, storm clouds have two sides to them. They have two sides. They have the side that we see, the underneath side. They have the menacing, the foreboding, the dark, the ominous side of the cloud. That's what we're used to seeing. But if we could somehow just get on the other side of the storm cloud, This scene would be breathtaking. It would be bright. It would be majestic. It would be peaceful. It would be glorious. It's the same cloud just experienced from a different perspective. And if you and I can learn to grab on to this final lesson and praise Him even in our storms, we'll experience the other side of the cloud. Freedom, peace, and strength will come. How many of you remember this lady here? (laughs) You've been wondering when she was going to return, haven't you? Darlene Diebler-Rose, again, for those that are just joining us, a quick review. We've been talking a couple times about this lady. Darlene and her husband were missionaries to New Guinea Guinea at the outset of World War II. The Japanese invaded the area, and on March 13, 1942, she watched her husband separated from her, taken to a different camp, never to be seen again because a year later he died of dysentery in the camp. Darlene entered her own forced labor suffered near starvation and various physical ailments. 
They tried to accuse her of being a spy, and she was thrown into solitary confinement with a statement above her cell door that said, This one must die. But she heard God in her cell say, My grace is is sufficient for you, and God delivered her from that certain death. If you remember, she found herself in front of the camp commander, the wicked, evil camp commander who would just do horrible things to the prisoner. But she found herself witnessing to this camp commander, and and before she left, he was in tears because he was impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the final story. While she was in solitary confinement, through her outside cell window, she could see some of the women smuggling in. What do you think they were smuggling in? Banana. She was very ill, and she knew that a banana could give her a lot of nutrition, the things that her body desperately needed. She got down on her knees and she prayed, Lord, I'm not asking you for a bunch of bananas. I'm just asking you for one. Just one banana, Lord, please. She soon soon began doubting how God could ever get her a banana. (laughs) And then she said, Lord, I'm sorry for wanting a banana. Please don't think that I'm not thankful for the rice and the watered-down soup that you give me. See, even in the midst of her storm, she was thankful. The next day, the camp commander visited her, but by this time, Darlene had endeared herself to the camp commander. And he looked at her and he said, You're very ill, aren't you? And she said, Yes. But she told him to tell the other women that she was still trusting in Jesus. When the commander and the other officers left, Darlene realized that she had forgotten to bow to the commander and the officers, and she knew that she would be beat for that. She thought, oh Lord, they're going to come back and they're going to get me. Not long she heard the footsteps and she knew what, what, what she was in for. She struggled to get up from the floor. She was very ill just to stand because she knew she was going into the interrogation room. And the guard opened her door. Not just one banana. Not just one banana. Ninety-two bananas. And the guard said, these are from the camp commander. Darlene fell to her knees. See, God sustained Darlene through this time. Brought her through that time, and when the war was over, she was released. A few years later, she met another missionary named Jerry Rowe. And the two were married. They had two children, and they both lived out the rest of their lives as missionaries. And on February 24th of 2007, Darlene D. Rowe's her Lord and Savior at the age of 90. Actually, if you want, you can YouTube her story. Uh, there, there are different uh, things that you can watch if you want to hear from her story. And there's a book out there as well. But something Darlene learned to master is to praise God for his goodness 
in the midst of her storms. Church, no matter what circumstances that you're in, no matter what your storm is, don't forget to praise God for His goodness, for His mercy, and His grace. Give your praise to the all-powerful and ever-reaching hand of God. That's hard to do. That takes a direct decision, specific decision, that I'm going to praise Him even in the midst. There's an old song we used to sing. It's a a fast song. The answer came while I was kneeling down in prayer. The answer came. Sometimes that's when he wants to hear us sing the most. Greater Vision sings a song. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing around you, when the fiery darts surround you. And despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances are hopeless as can be. For that's when God wants to hear you sing. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. God, help us to... um, realize that we don't want to be like the nine lepers that did not come back to thank you, Jesus, whenever you healed them. God, may we be like the one and, and thank you, not just after you deliver us from the storms, but Lord, doing the storms. Because you have promised to be faithful, as we have heard today. You have promised to take care of us. You have promised to deliver us. Might not always be how we want, but you have promised to take care of your people. Lord, thank you. We praise you, Lord. We love you. If there's someone here this morning that needs to praise you right now, even in their storm, I pray that they would do that. That they would give you the situation and they would thank you in advance because they know that you're working. They know that you're going to do a mighty work in their life. Lord, there's something powerful about Praise in the midst of the face of difficulty. That's something that Satan cannot stand up to because what we're doing is we are submitting to you, God. We're resisting the devil and he has to flee. Thank you, Lord, for who you are in our life. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.